Alright, welcome to the Monster Lore Tour. Your deep dive shit and all those other words he says in a particular order. Yeah. Welcome to the edge of nowhere. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this second side trail excursion compilation from the Monster Lore Tour Paranormal Deep Dives from the Edge of Nowhere podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Carr, flying solo for the moment to give you just a quick breakdown of what you'll be getting in these three side trail excursions. First is side trail five. We went back a ways for this one, but it's the presentation of my research on the map of Skin walker territory in northern arizona as we discussed in episodes three through five and we thought it a worthy wrap-up of an ongoing conversation so we thought everyone should hear it then we start catching up to present with side trail 17 and 18. 17 is another of maz's mind-bending breakdowns of some famous shamanic icons 18 is our Oz-related discussion of which witch is which, inspired by our conversation surrounding our interview with Logan. This will wrap up our catch-up rounds of side trails. The next compilation episode will be for the three most recent deep dive episodes. You can hear all the other past side trails and get early access to future side trails in our members section at patreon.com slash monsterloretour. For just $1 a month, that's right, just $1 a month gets you into our member section at patreon.com slash monsterloretour. Thank you all for giving us a listen. Please take a second to hit all the happy fun buttons on whatever platform you're listening on, like share, subscribe, all that stuff. It would really help us out. And here we go. Enjoy. Everybody and thanks for coming to this week's members only exclusive monster lore tour side trail excursion i'm your host jeremy carr here with my co-host the mr maz how we doing today mr maz no complaints all right so uh, i finally did my homework i'm kind of oh, proud of myself that's awesome we did jump timelines again a bit maz demanded that the side trail be my homework on the map of the skin walkers territory so he gave me a little extra time and i put it together and it was uh definitely more complex of a question than i was expecting once i really got into it start thinking about it and looking at maps and stuff yeah the reason it came about is because we had so many friends and people we knew and accounts in the area we wanted to actually map it out and see if there was any correlation between inside or in the res or between the sacred peaks or where right because the precise assignment you gave me was 
to map the skin walker territory boundary through flagstaff like correct. where does it run actually through town and walnut canyon correct like kind of for everything really right. so that that's the angle i was trying to take and it does go on an angle you're right right through town it's very <laughs> it's very angular yes and, and it sounds kind of simple enough but when you really get into it it is a complex thing because to to put the complex issue simply which map are the skin walkers using right so I have a few maps to go through here. I'll put the links in a couple PDFs and whatnot on the Patreon page following this one. So everyone can follow along if you want. Uh, if you're driving or something, please look at them later. We'll do our best to describe it all for you. And in the end, you're going to get the point either way. But the maps are there for you to look at at your leisure. And if a skin walker is running alongside your vehicle, try to get it with the door. <laughs> well, check then check the map because you got to know which way to go to get out of the territory. Right. Although that is a sticky wicket. We'll get into that. Not sure you can really get out of the territory. Wow. But we'll we'll talk about that. That's a little foreshadowing. Uh, to the question at hand, though, what map are we using? So when you start looking into this, the first map you'll probably run into is the modern map of the reservation lands. That obviously wouldn't put Flagstaff in the territory at all, but also obvi obviously isn't the map the skin walkers would be using. The next map I went to was the four sacred peaks of the Diné, you know, because that's kind of what we have to go on. The map I found that I'm, I will put up there is a straight line trapezoidal boundary marking with dead straight lines drawn from one peak to the next. This gives you a good general idea of the pre-European territory that we'd be talking about. But when you're looking for real borders, they're, they're never that straight line, that cut and dry, that geometrical, you know. As long as it doesn't make a pentagram, we'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. But borders tend to follow more natural boundaries or like something more distinct than just this straight line that no one's going to see in real life. So I'm thinking that that's a little too on the nose, I guess, right? But then I went a little deeper. And I was able to find a couple of maps of the actual ancient tribal lands in the area that is now Arizona. Mm -hmm. This is where it kind of started getting more interesting. Uh, forgive me if you can hear my computer clicking. I got to click around a lot of stuff on this one. Now this map, I'm going to show you here, Moz. This one here. So I found one shows the ancestral Puebloans, the Hohokam, and the Mogollons. And they underlay it with the states. So you can kind of get a good reference as to where things are, right? It's not super detailed, but it does give you a lot to work with. So we're in Hohokam. Well, we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> and, th and that means vanished ones, by the way. Somebody said something. Oh, like okay. That. It means that. I don't know. That's true. Yeah, most of those old names have something to do with disappearing because they all just left at some point. Uh, so that map shows the ancient Puebloans, the Mogollons, the Hohokam for the southwest region. And these territories are more blobby, globulous, and look much more like what borders in real life would be like than, you know, that trapezoidal straight line thing just connecting the peaks. So this is where it started making sense to me. Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't get a good overlay of this map with the details enough to, like, put it over Flagstaff. But using the natural features and most primarily the little Colorado River that they show 
running right there. You see mm-hmm. that? I kind of used that in comparing it to other maps, tried to kind of pinpoint where Flagstaff would be on this map. You want to take a guess where it is, Moss? You know, right on the edge. It's well, right there. Wow. So it's the edge of the Hohokam and the it's, ancestral. <laughs> it lies, as far as I can tell, right at the nexus of where all three of those territories meet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it seems that it was almost like they were leaving all the tribes a way to get to the sacred peak, mm-hmm. the way that comes together. Like headwaters, yeah. you Right. So that means, according to this map, really all of Flagstaff is in skin. Walker. Territory. The only question is what tribe are you dealing with at right. the time? Right. Uh, but that's I'm digressing a little bit because my assignment was a little more specific, and we'll get back into that. So because this is the Monster Lore Tour, I went even deeper. With what we were talking about, I figured I'd focus on what the Diné specifically would consider their ancient lands. That relates primarily to the ancient Puebloans. Like, that would be the shared, you know, uh, space, the, the same kind of territory. Now, assuming the San Francisco peaks are considered part of the territory, which I imagine they would be, as it seems it was like communal territory, kind of that was the shared space for everybody, then you can infer that the line runs in proximity and somewhat adjacent to the southern basin of the peaks, right? Like it would Mm -hmm. surround the peaks. So where does Flagstaff lie in relation to the San Francisco peaks, Moss? Just south, five miles south of Humphreys. It's in what would be considered the southern basin. Mm -hmm. So we seem to be on the edge of all these territories. Mm -hmm. Like we're right where everybody was able to come up. But looking at the map, uh, it does seem that the ancient Puebloans would be the ones that we're talking about because it would be the northern and eastern parts of town, mm-hmm. which is what we're always talking about. Right. So that's the one we're looking at mm-hmm. at this point to specifically address my uh, assignment. But I didn't stop there. So I, I looked for verification from other maps from other eras. Uh, so I went to the Anasazi period. And that led me to this next map that shows the regional territories from the Anasazi time. Let me show you that Ancient one. enemy for that group. <laughs> right. So you see the similarity there. Yeah. We're almost replacing the... The ancestral Puebloan land. is now in Anasazi. Yeah. Very similar Close, to the yeah. Anasazi. So that's, that leads me to believe that's the another map they may be looking at. Do you know where Mulder and Scully... Uh, got Smoking Man killed in that episode. Is that on this map? <laughs> it's a climax. But anywho, the Anasazi territory, very, very similar to the ancient Puebloans, losing only a little ground to the south in the New Mexico area. And this map also shows the Padayan tribe to the west. And once again, there's this nexus point where all four of these now meet, and it's all right about where the sacred peak right here next to Flagstaff is. Wow. So, interesting, right? We're kind of right there where everybody 
would consider this, you know, just everybody's place. I thought that would be the Yavapai and the Wallapai, but I guess because this is a very old, well, because this is an we're, ancient map. That's a different era, yeah. Right. I went, okay. you know, you got to kind of find the different time periods and get right. the map for each, but I was figuring it would be the more ancient maps oh, yeah. that they'd be looking at mm -hmm. from the, you know, since their people have been here kind of time. And uh, to me, that would be the Puebloans and the Anasazi. Nice. So that's what I went with. I, I don't disagree. But so again, we're at the center of the whole thing here because we're right by the sacred peak and that's where all the lands meet on both of those maps. But I'm still not done because my assignment was to find precisely how Flagstaff is divided, right? Or best mm -hmm. guess anyway. Uh, again, we're looking for the Diné and Asazi Puebloan boundary as best as I could figure. So I went to the Jugal maps turned on the terrain filter over Northern Arizona, and I drew some lines of my own. Uh, again, these pics will be in the Patreon post. But I followed what seemed to be a rational sort of edge of the southern basin, according to the kind of topography of the thing. So the ancient Puebloan or the Anasazi. Right. right, and without gerrymandering too much, I did use kind of more straight lines, mm -hmm. but much shorter, you know, really kind of follow the contour. But uh, let's let's look at this map for a second, Moz, and dissect this a little bit. So here we see Flagstaff. Wow, that is what we would have expected. It's kind of exactly diagonal. what you would have expected. It comes in, basically I started out by Belmont, and it kind of follows the 40 because the 40 follows that southern edge. See that mm -hmm. coming down right there? That's right. Mars Hill and everything. Yep. It cuts right along the southern boundary of Mars Hill, basically, over Lowell to Lowell Observatory, to where Lowell Observatory is located, and right by the Double Tree. You can see all this on the map if you look at the picture, but even if you just go to Flagstaff, it cuts kind of east northeast. I guess that would be, or just northeast, and it cuts. Can we do which pubs? It are basically in the puts open? like all of the northern part. Basically, all of downtown really is in there, and it cuts off right at the southeast corner of downtown. It's coming across, and it goes up, cuts Sunnyside in half, which is the neighborhood name over there. goes out basically to the mall. If you draw that line, and you can see this picture again in the post I'm putting on, it leaves basically, it cuts just at the uh, southeast corner of what we would call downtown at six, right at route 66 and cuts kind of up across town like that is the way I, I, with a straight line, mind you, again, straight lines aren't the best for make figuring out real boundaries, but it gave me a much clearer idea of where we'd be looking. Right. So is the mall in, uh, the mall's kind of like right on the edge, yeah. right on the edge, the, the way I'm, I'm seeing it here. And then it kind of just runs out east straight to Mount Taylor, which would be the next corner of, for the four peaks. Perfect. And in between there and Mount Taylor, it's really just open desert. So you almost can do a little bit of a straight line there. But again, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm using this to get a, a zooming, zooming in on it. I didn't think this was the final answer, but it zoomed me in on it. Well, I have a theory that all moles are over Hellmouths. We're going to talk about that during <laughs> one of my side trails. But, but we're really not surprised that there's a diagonal right through town. Right. And, and right. exactly what we were talking about, that there seemed to be 
more activity in the north or the east. Yep, and downtown itself, which fits with my experience as well. The hospital is in there. Yeah, which is which, where we had stories. Right, we've talked about that. And our own accounts. Yep, and I know people with stories from downtown, old town, which mm-hmm. is just west of downtown. Right. And that would make sense because that puts it all, not mm-hmm. only in the boundary, but right near the edge of right. the territory. Right. You know what I mean? But, so, back to the point. Like I said, this is me trying to approximate and zoom in and try to figure out, okay, what's the real boundary I'm looking for here? Like I said, the way it cuts through town and then kind of just runs out towards Albuquerque out to Mount Taylor. Or where Bugs Bunny makes a left. (laughs) Just before Bugs Bunny forgot to turn. He forgot to make the left, yes. Uh so, you know, that that's not too bad of an approximation, I think, at this point. I think I mm-hmm. did zoom in on it pretty well. And you'll notice, if you look at this map, it does a really good job of paralleling the road most people know as Route 66. Old Route 66, yeah. The original Route 66. Yeah. Are you familiar with the history of the path now known as Route 66, Moss? I am. You are? Yeah. And there's some grapes of wrathy stuff going well, on. Well, I'm going to kind of give a brief history Okay. For all those who aren't really familiar with where it, it all came from. It started with a brewery called Mother Road Brewery. <laughs> Here in Flagstaff. <laughs> Anywho, so Route 66 was the original modern highway from Chicago to Los Angeles. But it was not the first time people had used that track. Before Route 66 was the railroad, which parallels Route 66 all along the way. And before that, it was the wagon trail to the western frontier. And before that, it was the main trade route of the continent, serving the tribes of North America, much like the Silk Road served the tribes of Asia back in the day, like way back in the day. This is a truly ancient trail. It's really just the easiest way to cross the expanse of North America from the Southern Pacific to the Great Lakes. Mm It gets you around the Rocky Mountains, gets you, you know, it's just the easiest path to cross the country. So that's the one we've always used. And the most kicks per mile. And you get so many kicks on Route 66. And from there, you know, when people would travel up to Chicago on the, go towards the east, they would actually use the waterways much more. They'd get on a Mm -hmm. boat and go down the rivers and stuff. Mm -hmm. So that was the main like road. Mm -hmm. It is an ancient road. It's the mother road. A road known to all the peoples who have ever inhabited this place, as far as we know. I think it was 44 back then, though. I think that the Anasazi was Route 44, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) But now that we've discussed it, we've seen the maps, and you see my line of thinking, to me, it seems almost obvious that the actual boundary I'm looking for is what we now call Route 66. Wow. So if you want my wow. ed- educated guess, I guess I would call it at this point. It's north of old if historic 66. If you are in Flagstaff on the north side of Route 66, you're in the ancient Puebloan slash Anasazi slash Diné territory, mm-hmm. which is what we were looking for. So there, there's an answer to my assignment. Wow. However, those maps we were looking at, when you cross that road, you're just in another tribe's territory. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that the whole skin walker phenomena is limited to just that one territory. I'm pretty sure all the tribes have a version of something like right. that, right? Yeah. So I mean, 
you can get out of the one territory, but you're just going right into another one. And the real question is, is do they have border skirmishes and things like that? Do they cross into each other's territory? Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a fine line. But as far as my specific assignment goes, Route 66, I think, would be that the actual line between the territories. Wow. That's, that's not what we, that part we is new. Not, not something I would have guessed. Yeah. That would have been, you know, pouring over all these different maps and then coming to that conclusion is pretty cool. Uh, does it match? And it does seem to match. It doesn't, it, it seems to match all of the accounts that we discussed would fall into that, those spaces. It does. Maybe with the exception. Uh, exception of Alex Bones, because Walnut Canyon area would not be right within the that diagonal Dene with on the northern side of that but like i said he wasn't dealing with them he was dealing with hohokam land and right I, I don't know you know how ancient these spirits would be and I'm, the the three-legged yellow coyote that might go all the way back well what 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 we're talking about with actually the land that's being kind of protected it is shamanic energy and whether right. it, it may not the Dene specifically the nada lushi that we talked about but there's the other ones would still be beings of power and they would still have their guardians at the edge of those places and they would be protecting that land. And we'll be talking more about that because I got more coming on that on some future episodes. Cool. But, I, but seeing what you did, I, and I do want to make one more point. Um, there is the possibility that they wouldn't be counting all this extra stuff off the main peak, in which case the boundary would come down like 180. Fort Valley Road there. Down to 66 and then cut up, which would still put, if you look at it, the hospital, not so much of downtown would be in it, but the hospital would totally still be in that territory. Right. So all that FMC stuff would still make sense. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but that that was what I was going with. And, and once I did that and drew that line, I could just see it. It's like my line's just a little bit north of Route 66 going through Flagstaff. And re- and it literally like winds back and forth across that line as you go up to Mount Taylor. I'm like, I can like there it is, you mm-hmm. know. Like once I did that, looked at all those other maps, figured out where, you know, the boundary seemed to lie, and then figured an approximation. All of a sudden, it was like, oh, it's Route 66. It's route like, 66. like it kind of became obvious that's, at that point. That's awesome. Yeah. But what I was going to say is because there are two things going on at the same time, and one of them is we talked about in our episode that. There seems to be encounters everywhere, all over the world right. and, and all over the country. But then we also do feel in this area they're specifically more spookier and more haunted or more uh, watched areas. And that yeah. seems to follow the accounts here personally. But at the same time, like you said, it seems like anywhere is fair game at the end of the day. Yeah, I think there are specific locales that ha- are like hot spots. You know, maybe they have a stronger energy than mm-hmm. most places, the whole vortex thing in Sedona and that sort of concept at work. But I don't think there's really a limit to how far they can really go. But there's also a piece of just population. I mean, if you go south, um, you go t- down toward, down that uh, Woody Mountain Road towards the edge of the Mogollon Rim, they're just... Yeah isn't anything at the top of Sycamore Canyon or at the top of any of these right. these areas. Um, so there isn't as much stories because there isn't as many people. Yeah, they're just the not other, there to see it. Is the other piece of that. So. Yeah, that's a good point too. Good point. But there you go, Moz. How did awesome. I do? Do I get an A? 
hey, I, I'm going to give you an A, and I rarely do that because you usually don't don't earn it. <laughs> but <laughs> well, you gave, you gave me an assignment that dealt yeah. primarily with maps, and I'm a, yeah. I'm such a map guy, I couldn't resist really digging into it. But it is funny when we talked about it. We, the one we were really curious about was Walnut Canyon because we didn't think it would fit in that line. Right. And it doesn't because it, doesn't. it goes diagonally up and it goes straight across. Right. And at, that's at the straight across part at by, by Walnut Canyon. It's, it's just right. right at the edge. Yeah. Well, actually, where's old Route 66 over there? Cause it wraps around the back of the mall. Yeah. And, and from where? So he would have been just south of that. Just of south that. of that. Yeah. yeah. But close. Yeah. And that's the thing, too, is I don't think they're strictly defined by that boundary. I think if right. they want to cross it a little bit, there, there's not a problem with that. But again, we have spooky encounters in a place that was populated by a number of different tribes, and that's why that area has that energy. Everybody came here. Yeah. They they had the, you know, to, what was it, till the 70s? No, or even later, I think, they were still mm -hmm. doing the, the big regional powwow in flagstaff right. at the base of the mountain yeah like they've been do they were doing that forever they finally did move it uh out to window rock mm -hmm. but up until you know his historically wise very recently they were still doing the the big powwows at the base of this mountain so it's you know everybody's energy is here i think they all have access to this place to add to the population really energy piece, the mall, there aren't any real stories because no one goes to the mall. It's not even a real mall. <laughs> yeah, there's really. no one there. There's no one there. It's yeah. actually great. It's like a time machine. Mm -hmm. As you walk in, and it's the 1970s again. They should have a cardboard cut out of like Jay and Silent Bob there. Although it was better when we still had the Sears. Then it really felt like the Sears. It really felt like a mall. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the day when they were keeping it real. Not that, not that I even remember the 70s, but... Uh, I hang out with old men too much, Moz. Yeah, that's true. But anywho, I'm going to wrap this up before we go entirely off the rails, which is kind of our forte. Yeah. Uh, thanks again, everybody, for coming. We appreciate you. We love you. Thanks for being a member. Stick around with us, and we'll try to just keep making it better for you. And let us know any topics you want us to cover what subjects you want to hear more of we have most of our first year planned out here but from there we're open to suggestion for the life span of this podcast so and let us know what we got right and what we got wrong yeah there you, you go know? there you go and at some point we're going to have some sort of discussion page somewhere we're just not very techy aligned so that might take us a minute hopefully it's already there if not i apologize it's coming soon and until next week Keep fighting that good fight on the road from hate to love. We'll see you in the next one. Till then, stay weird. Alright. Hello everybody and welcome to this very special side trail edition for the wrap up of our first ever holiday Christmas special here at the Monster Lore Tour Paranormal Deep Dives from the Edge of Nowhere podcast. It's actually unwrap because we unwraps because Christmas has ended so... I think it's we're unwrapping our last gift. Yeah. This is our last gift for you on this very special yeah. day. And then you realize you didn't get your your puppy. It's coal. Just so yeah. everybody knows. We're giving you coal. Yeah. Because you're all bad. Yep. Some Tommy knocker references. We're gonna go into that cave and get that coal and chase out those Tommy knockers.
No, you're not bad. We love you. You're our members. You're in our members area. That means everything to us. So thank you for being here with us on this very special Christmas edition. Can we give them a mug? I'll give them my mug. We only have one mug. Uh, I'll just give it to them all. We got a couple of... We can share it. It'll be like the traveling pants. (laughs) Every week, you got to mail it to the next person. (laughs) The podcast of the traveling mug. It's like a chain letter, but a coffee mug. Yeah. But no, we made some uh, just kind of prototype merch. We made each of us a coffee mug with our logo picture and the name and... Uh, yeah, he's Maz is currently holding it up to the microphone so you can hear it. He still thinks we're on video somehow. I don't know how that works. But no, the coffee mugs look pretty cool. I think we're going to add them in as a, a reward for our members who join the Patreon here coming up. But uh, we got to figure out the actual cost, what level to put it on and whatnot. But hopefully we can offer it to everybody. I'm thinking in the end to defend myself though i think there's cameras and everything so that we probably can regain that footage we'll make it an anniversary gift how about that on your first anniversary of membership we send you a coffee mug mug is incredibly cool like really is it's you know if we ever get something where you can see it instead of just hear it (laughs) it's kind of amazing let's see how many members we have at the end of the season maybe maybe a end of season one gift there you go. We'll, we'll figure it out, but at some point we're going to have these coffee mugs up for, for merch and for our members in the Patreon, some level. Coffee sold separately. But anywho, I am rambling again, Moz. You're not supposed to let me do that. Void where prohibited. So why don't you get us started here with our, our final little wrap-up. This is a side trail to, again, an arc that started with basically my first real episode, was which was the skin. Walkers. Which really didn't become about skin walkers and since we had audio problems maybe we'll return to the skin walkers i think we might uh and it became more about shape shifters yeah yeah that episode three man yeah it was cursed trouble understand i I did remaster the first four episodes and and like we still can't fix one two and four actually sound pretty good now and i I just three that's like all fuzzy and stuff i can't even really fix it it's squatchy that's all it was cursed that episode was full-on cursed cryptid people like like fuzzy squatchy stuff so it'll be fine yeah people said squatches. they couldn't hear me i was like in another room and wow, which is probably is better it might be our best episode ever because you can't hear me at all yeah there you yeah. go there you go but I, I thought what would be cool to wrap it up is one of the things one of the themes is our everything seems to be a shapeshifter so i kind of teased this a little bit that there was a king arthur connection there was a jesus thing we talked about a little bit so i thought we'd look into these three theories of Jesus, King Arthur, and Nessie all being shapeshifters. Jesus, King Arthur, and Nessie. Yeah. Okay. So, and they're, they're, that's quite the range. Well, again, shapeshifters seem to be. It shows the ubiquitousness the, of the shaman. Ubiquitousness, exactly. Yeah. And uh, the first one comes from, and this is shapeshifters, morphing monsters, and changing cryptids. Nick Redfern. He really hits at home with a lot of why he thinks every time we see a cluster sighting, every area seems to be these different things. He, you know, he's pointing to shapeshifters. And I also feel like Brad Steiger's book, Wolfman book, Encyclopedia of Shapeshifters, also just kind of points out just how many different things we, we, we end up seeing. Mm-hmm. And those two are, you know, worth, if you're going to, if I could have started with two books, I, en- I ended up finding Brad Steiger's at uh, Flagstaff Library later into the project than I would have liked. 
and had to kind of catch up. That's how old school Maz is. He goes to the library to do research. I and love then it. I walk back the same wash. I don't know if this came out in the episode. The same, but it's the same this, wash where you ran into a skin walker. That that's that's a true story. That's a perfect <laughs> reference right now because the very <laughs> next thing we're releasing is Logan's interview. And I did it at night. I walked up this, a this wash is from the library to, to his house, and it's not even directly to your house. I'm just walking up the wash yeah. north. And it's uh, the no traffic way to walk back up the hill yeah. out of downtown. It's the not direction that you should take. <laughs> right. It's the not trail. <laughs> not trail. Thank you. That's what I was going for. And I did not, but I tell you, there was one point where probably we ran into this guy where you actually have to step off the ground and go into the wash. There's no other way to do it. And I didn't have my book light around my neck, or I would have, and I had to just follow the street. But I was, I was determined for whatever reason at night, because this was... And you rarely stay out after dark. Yeah, it was weird because I ended up. I think. I think what I was doing you was getting new, drawn in. Well, I think it was you weren't going to be home at a certain time, and we weren't going to regroup until later. So right. I just stayed out, and then I actually stopped, you know, on the way there, uh, somewhere else, you know, at a at the the pub halfway. Sure, <laughs> can't go an entire idea. mile. You have to stop at a pub. You got to get a beer on the way. Yeah, on the way, but uh, it, it was then we. This just happened where I leave with, you know, that that book, that Steiger book, and head up to your house, and we find out a couple of days, that same interview so the next day. you just checked out I that book. Just checked. Well. Oh, that's interesting. And then you guys talk about that wash in your story yeah. a day or two later when we're recording that. Yeah. And I had no idea I was in skin. Walker. Territory. Yeah. Honestly. So. If I had my light, I would have gone into the darker reaches and maybe we would have, you know, maybe I would have had a story to tell. But I wasn't on quite the same stuff. This was a different, you know, thing. So who knows? Yeah, yeah. Who knows? But back to Nessie, we're going to start with that one because that's Redfern's theory. He says the Loch Ness Monster as shapeshifter. And uh, he connects it, actually, Roland Watson. He, he cites Roland Watson who mentions this connection between the Kelpie and the Loch Ness Monster, primarily because the most historical Kelpie sightings are clustered around that same Scottish lake, which really interesting. Yeah, I've heard that that uh, analogy before with the, Nessie being the Kelpie yeah. in, within that same realm. Right. It's the water creature, kind of has that same look to it. Do you want to do some reading? Sure. Contrary to the popular assumption that the Nessies closely resemble plesiosaurs, more than a few eyewitnesses to the monsters have described them in an astonishing variety of ways. Such as, it says take a deep breath, I'm going to take a deep breath. Giant-sized frogs, tusked, camel-like, or crocodile-type entities, beasts that completely lack the long neck that so many people have reported animals closely resembling salamanders and creatures with feet rather than the so often reported flippers. In many of the cases such descriptions were made by people who were able to see the monsters at very close quarters, strongly suggesting they were not mistaken about what it was they encountered. It is beyond absurd to try and assert that Loch Ness might harbor six or seven different types of amazing animals, never mind just one. There is only one reasonable conclusion available to us. The Nessies of today and the Kelpies of the past are one and the same. 
constantly shifting their shapes as they see fit in the name of their ominous game. Their motivation? The stealing of the human soul. Dun, 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 dun. So Nessie's trying to steal souls? Well, you know, I mean, he's out of work. You know, he's, he's not a lot of fish left in that lake. He's got to make a living <laughs> yeah, somehow. Fair enough, fair enough. They did determine that it re- would be really tough to maintain a plesiosaur with the amount of fish in that Oh, I'm sure, lock. yeah. Yeah. Just not enough food supply to really keep a creature that big yep. alive. Yep. The other one, it's not even mentioned in there, but I remember a documentary seeing where it looked like and it was kind of a 40s car. They're driving down along the lock, and they describe like almost like Mothra, the worm version of Mothra, just this big globular worm thing crossing the road. Like things strange, and that's not even listed in that really long list of Yeah, so there things. you go. Even with all that that he just mentioned, there's yeah, still more there's other, forms. There's still more. That's kind of the way I operate. You know, Wikipedia, if you, you know what I do, I told you this, go back through YouTube and Wikipedia last, and I always have a couple things that even, that are not even in Wikipedia. Right, right. Because uh, it's that far out. Because you actually go to the library. Yeah. So they, there's always, I miss some stuff, but usually it's stuff that I want to leave out anyway, but sometimes not. Sometimes I, Wikipedia actually brings something that I sure. didn't have to the table. I always bring something or two or more that Wikipedia didn't bring to the table, which is why I do the Thelma and the Giles and yeah. the, uh, you know, Bob Andrews and do the whole, you know, actual research thing. And then you fight some skin walkers on the way home, which is fun. Yeah. There you go. So the other one, any other thoughts on that before we move on? But I thought that, and again, that was uh, Nick Redfern working off of Roland Watson's theory. And I think, you know, it's an interesting one for sure. Right, because I have heard the comparison or, you know, the correlation, I guess I should say, between Nessie and the Kelpie. Yeah. I never really, I guess, knew the Kelpie legend that well. I didn't realize it was such a shapeshifter like that and that therefore Nessie would also be the shapeshifter. No, it's a, it's it's an interesting theory, and yeah. it's 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 not something I had ever really heard. And it makes honest. sense that that that's why you don't really see it. Like sometimes it's this big thing, and people are like, "Oh my god, there's a huge thing in that lock," mm-hmm. but then it changes into something totally different. So yeah, there's no way there's no way to prove something exists if it keeps changing its form and if it's whatnot. an energy around that lock it would explain some of the is weirdness it, is it a portal type thing maybe too yeah you're just a seeing things place? through there the thin places yeah yeah that they're big on that out in that country the thin places maybe that lock is just like very portally maybe it's like a like a skin walker ranch kind of yeah. locale yeah it's just more water-based you yeah. know yeah more soluble that's an interesting thought too yeah and, and wonderful in the nasal passages when they're getting dried out. <laughs> yeah, That's the way I go. find. So the other one, our next one, we move to Jesus. Oh, boy. You're going to get us. In, are we going to have to do another apology in the next I don't. <laughs> I don't think so. These are not my theories. I'm just I'm conveying information. This is All part right. of the Jesus mysteries. If they're a member at this point, then I doubt we'll upset anybody too badly. Yeah, if you came here, you know what you're getting into. Yeah. You know, you're one yeah. of the seven people in the world. We're, that we're definitely heathens and heretics. Understand the truth. But Jesus, a shapeshifter, this is from John Kachuba, 
and I'm going to leave you off the hook, and I'll read this one. Okay. But basically, this is Shapeshifters, A History by John Kachuba, which was a great book on the subject as well. There are passages in the New Testament that seem to illustrate God's power as a shapeshifter. In Luke 3.22, one reads, And the Holy Ghost descended in bodily shape like a dove upon him. In Luke 24, the resurrected Jesus joins two of his disciples as they walk to Emmaus, but they do not recognize him. The scripture reads, Their eyes were holden that they should not recognize him. Why wouldn't these men who had spent so much time with Jesus have been able to recognize him? Could he have deliberately altered his form, his appearance, to test their faith? But one of them, this is dot dot dot, another section, but one of the most intriguing passages from the ancient text is one that implies Jesus to be a shapeshifter. The text reads, Then the Jews said to Judas, How shall we arrest him? For he does not have a single shape, but his appearance changes. Sometimes he is ruddy, sometimes he is white, sometimes he is red, sometimes he is wheat-colored, sometimes he is pallid like ascetic, sometimes he is a youth, sometimes an old man. Wow. Yeah, I know. And then, I had no idea yeah. about that stuff. Well, should read the Bible more, I guess. <laughs> to finish this one up, the Jews had come to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, needed a way to identify Jesus because of his ability to change appearance according to Vandenbroek. Judas, apparently always able to recognize him, tells the Jews he will identify Jesus for them as the man he kisses. This understanding of Judas' kiss can be found in the writings of Origen, the second century theologian in Contra Kelsum. He writes to those who saw him, Jesus, he did not appear alike to all. As with the gods of antiquity, Jesus was perceived at least by some as a divine shapeshifter. This is 25 and 24 and 26 on John Kachuba's Shapeshifters of History. So that's pretty cool, huh? Yeah, that's wild, man. I, I didn't, like, obviously, you know, Jesus, he, all these things that he can do, you know, the changing the element, the water to wine and mm-hmm. the, the bread to fish and... Mm-hmm you know, making, healing the sick and stuff. It's all very shamanic, but I didn't ever know about this whole, I guess I, the one way I had heard of that was the Judas part where he had to point at him and be like, that's him because they couldn't recognize him. Oh, the Judas kiss. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize there were like so many references to Mm -hmm. him being able to change his form and that directly the, the sometimes he's old, sometimes he's young, sometimes his he's red or wheat colored. Or, you know, he changes his complexion, he changes his mm-hmm. his age, and like all these different ways. That that is so shapeshifter. Yeah, and also reminiscent of the Judas Priest kiss concert I saw in the late eighties. <laughs> the Judas kiss, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's what they should have called saw, that. I saw a kiss with with uh, Aerosmith. Is that nice. Count? Yeah, well, it's close. Steven Tyler's pretty. Well, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that even meant. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I, I am shocked and amazed by some of this. I saved in some ways, don't want to annoy people, but I saved the best for the last because there's even, and this is just a tantalizing hint. This is not as as big of a uh, connection, but I wanted to read how King Arthur is also thought to have some small connection to a potential older group 
who were the, a bear cult and shapeshifters. Here we go. So him, he himself as a shapeshifter. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, it's a it's a tantalizing hint, we, and that's we, all we I can did, say. We did talk in an earlier episode. I think this is way back in three or four. We talked about him having the the creature portal at the beginning of his story, where he sees the the chimeric creature. His horse dies, and he sees the weirdest creature he's ever seen, and all that. Correct. So we kind of had him tied into this already, but now you're saying he himself is a shapeshifter. Yeah, gets even weirder. Okay, let's do it. And I w- I'll go back to just tantalizing him. You be the judge of this, but this comes from Paul Devereaux. I recently read uh, Shamanism and the Mystery Lines, uh, 1993. The various versions of the medieval Arthurian romance embellish talents from earlier sources, such as the Welsh bardic text of again. <laughs> How do you spell that? <laughs> well, you know what the you know you know it by how it. I try. I actually tried to pronounce this, and it's, yeah. it's really hard. Yeah. But if you look up how to pronounce M A B I N O G I O N, it sounds easy, but it's not anything like. It's not just because what the you think it is. You have yeah. to use. It's weird. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. Celtic thing there, yeah. which themselves came out of oral traditions of unknown ancestry, but certainly reaching back into Celtic Iron Age times. Indeed, indeed, there is a tantalizing hint. See, I use I use that tantalizing hint. I guess that's he said it too, and that's where I got it. <laughs> indeed, there is a tantalizing hint that there may be faint traces of much earlier elements, but the very name Arthur has been claimed by some to derive from the Welsh form of the Roman Artorius, but from the Welsh, not from Artorius, but from the Welsh Artfawr, F-A-W-R, the Great Bear. John Mitchell notes that this was associated with the brilliant star Arcturus, whose position in the night sky is indicated by two stars in the tail of the Great Bear constellation Ursa Major, the Big Dipper. The Great Bear was also known as Arthur's Wain or Wagon. Being seen as the vehicle in which Arthur circled the pole, if these associations are valid, then it could be said that there is a faint echo in the Arthurian tradition reaching even to the remote times of the bear cults at the end of the last ice age. Those are exactly what we were talking about. They were shapeshifters. They believed bears were people. That's the ones from... Uh, Everywhere. From 13, Siberia in 13, particular. But again, the, the I, I mentioned this before too, but the 13th warrior with yeah, Antonio, Antonio Bernard. That's actually yeah. a Beowulf story. Yeah. That goes back to the Beowulf legend. With the fire snake, mm-hmm. you know, it's the other one, not the Grendel one. It's a different one, but uh, that that makes total sense, yeah, because that was the same part of the world. It did predate King Arthur in that same region, right? The well, Beowulf story. I would say Beowulf is medieval, and the bear cults go back to the again the the difference right because they were already old before yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. This is where the transition. Before for agriculture as the hunter-gatherers, the, nom- the, the reindeer nomads, that circumpolar group of folks hunting in the frozen wastes, particularly the bear, you know, obviously even with Russia's association with it. But, but this stretches back to that bear cult, um, for, and it's the Ainu. And I actually did an extra search to find, if anybody knows more about this, I did kind of research the Ainu bear cult. I think it was not for this reason. It was for another reason based on Arctic shapeshifters. And it really was a dead end research-wise. 
Some of the things, you know, always end in other languages. Some other things end because there's not a lot to say about it. It goes back to prehistory and the dawn of time. Yeah, just lost to time. Yeah. but that, That's too bad. Well, I'm not saying, you know, we, we as we grow some kind of community, I'm hoping folks can give us tantalizing hints, Mon- as Devereaux says, to explore other areas. Monsterloretor at gmail.com. Yes, please. Anything you got for us, we'd greatly appreciate. We can start expounding on things more. Exactly. So what else do you think? I mean, I think it means anything could be a shapeshifter, basically. Yeah. I mean, in the end, I honestly think anything can. It just needs the knowledge to do so. That's where I've come to on this road we are on. And the more we do this podcast the more I think that's actually what it is, is you just have to figure out how to achieve the mindset, you know, achieve the belief, the faith. I don't even know what it comes down to. Well, this is where I was trying to tie it in with the UAP, with the whirlwind, the energy, the speed. Does it it actually match what you're talking about for strange light anomalies? Right. And in the end, it's... kind of the same thing like why do some people have abduction experiences why do some people see ufos and like some really believable ufo sighting type stories let's put it this way there's a spectrum like you have things like the phoenix lights the whole damn city saw it like everybody saw that you know if you went outside and looked up you were gonna see it like a lot of people saw that But then there's all these other ones where like there'll be a group of people and they all see it where there's a full on, you know, oh my God, that's a UFO kind of sighting. And they're in a place where if they had really seen that thing that high up in the sky where they were at, it should have been seen by a lot of people, but they were the only ones who saw it. There's variations here. You know what I mean? In that range, like how, how that's really to me, what, why is there that difference when sometimes everyone can see it, sometimes only some people see it, and sometimes it's like people feel something but they can't actually see anything? Like I, I, That's what's really the mystery to me. Yeah, more of the astral projection-y stuff when you talk about the abduction scenarios, why do some of them actually have physical scars? You know, it's just such an amalgam yeah. and an overlap of, you know, we're dealing with, are we dealing with hypnopompic, hypnagogic? Are we dealing with, we did, you know, what supernatural goes into? With Is it, you know, fairies? And then now we've shifted to, to aliens and it's all hallucinogenic. Well, that doesn't explain why there's strange markings. It doesn't explain why other people do see some things. It certainly doesn't just explain like Walston's story. Uh, Travis Walton, ah, there you go. Um, who was in, our, you know, from our state, you know, picked up in uh, Snowflake and dropped off in Heber. Oh yeah, fire in the sky. Fire in the yeah. sky, and you know, it doesn't explain. It doesn't explain that that X Files episode that Mulder was <laughs> actually tortured, like in dentist kind of fashion, like a really bad dentist. You're not going to talk about that is. tooth elf again, are you? <laughs> I can't take that anymore. Um, I think yeah. <laughs> We're going to talk, when we talk about true crime, we're going to bring him back into this. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, yeah, it really is everywhere. It it's kind of ties into my search for the Yeti in Alaska next year. 
I don't want I don't want to let the cat out of the bag though because we're gonna have an interview about the theory that I'm talking about when we hit our Yeti episode. I'm doing. I heard told you I did yeah, a so Yeti. I episode. won't ruin it for you, but it even ties into that. Like, so I'm wait, gonna, you're doing a Yeti episode and I'm doing a Yeti episode? No, no, I'm doing a hunt for the Yeti. You're gonna do a Yeti episode oh. coming up this season. Mm-hmm. But next year, like we talked about it earlier in the episode, I'm gonna go to Alaska and spend a few days in the bush trying to yeah that's the bumble that's find different the yeti though. that's the bumble but it's the yetis very, in the himalayas the bumble is near anchorage right we have friends in anchorage we've asked them to look out for that but bottom line is you guys ain't seen nothing yeti yeah there you go yeah all right wow so nessie jesus and king arthur are all shapeshifters um yeah that's those a, are not my theories but the i the like them to this arc i like them yeah, and that's that's actually kind of the best part is that that's not just you coming up with stuff. This is like, you know, known authors putting it in their books. Yeah, this would be our Aho Guano file, and it's other people's, you know, in their book, yeah. and it, and they make sense. They make a point that actually you have to look at and say, and it, some of them working off of other people's theories, and well, everybody is right because that's that's how any sort of science, even if you're talking about parascience pseudoscience whatever you still you got to take what's known and use use that to see if you can find other things that are not yet known that's the scientific process right let it be said that Mars stood on the shoulders of nephilim <laughs> <laughs> wow that's up there man there you go i can I, see far yeah yeah that's some high shoulders to stand on that's yeah. good all right so that, i guess that does it then thanks everybody for being members we've truly appreciate you joining on this road from hate to love on the monster lore tour stick with us we're gonna keep on rolling way on down this road and we will see you though this is a double drop on a monday for christmas so tomorrow will be actually logan's interview where i tell my final skin walker story so the train keeps on rolling here the end of the year we're gonna cram a few episodes in real quick and, of course, my harrowing adventure back from the library with overdue books. <laughs> Will he get there in time or pay the fine? Yeah, those overdue books can be scary if you forget about them. I actually can't take out any books. I have to read them there because I'm not from that part of the state anymore. Oh, uh, right, right. That's why I wanted you to check it out. I don't like I being would... on lists. Uh, I, <laughs> I understand that. But, anywho, till tomorrow, everybody, stay weird. everybody and welcome to this very special side trail edition of the monster lore tour paranormal deep dives from the edge of nowhere podcast this is the follow-up to our fear and logan and last flagstaff interview episode and uh, we did have a question that came up there specifically which which is which wizard of oz and Moz has done his very unique style of deep dive research on this and has come back to us with this very special side trail. Yeah, I don't know how special it is, but it is exciting. I am excited. We'll see if others share that excitement. I'm pretty excited. He told me that he could have made this a whole episode in itself if he wanted to, which which blows my mind. On I was like, how are you going to get half an hour out of this, this? He's like, I could do an hour and a half. This was a couple <laughs> hour deep dive for me that just, 
kind of rant, you know, like I don't know if there's more. People are going to have to, like normally I, I think I did it exhaustively and maybe I forgot something, but this is just one I looked into for a little bit and went, wow, this is not what I thought because the discussion started with it not following the cosmology of the, the thesis that we were talking about the episode before. Because the East is the evil part and, oh no, the, yeah, and the it was the, the Wicked East, Witch of the, the West, West is, is the, the evil, is one. evil one. But that sh- it should be the East. But then right. I said, I thought the East was her sister and she was worse, but we weren't sure. Right. So we had to set Maz loose on it. And the backdrop to that is the cosmology came up of the Lakota with, from Black Elk Speaks, where it's a side-by-side wolf of the East and Thunderbird of the West. And it's some other native you know, tribes kind of follow that side-by-side. And so did the Mongolians, where they had this um, Mangus and Shimnus, but it's not, they were both the realms of the East and the evil, and the West was supposed to be the home of the benevolent gods. So it was right. kind of a little bit of a different breakdown. So I was wondering why it was different, and I think I found the answer. Of course you did. Yeah. So we'll see. That's what makes you the Moz. That's why, the, yeah, we're not going to do any Wizard of Moz jokes, though. We, we promised ourselves. Oh, damn it. I was supposed to do a Wizard of Moz joke. <laughs> you know, I said no. I forgot my opening. They all know. They all know. Pay no attention to the man behind the microphone. Yeah. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, you know, but, but yeah, a lot of the other cosmologies are kind of this up, down, heaven and hell thing. This is a side-by-side thing. But what I, re- I really learned something with doing this, though, and I want, what do you think of? What do you think it was? I'm just going to throw it out to you. I mean, not 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 guessing, like just more taking a step back. What I learned about myself in doing this about yourself? Yeah. Oh God. Um, did you find a whole new level of crazy? I I need a day job. Is what I found. <laughs> That's what I discovered you need during this side trail. <laughs> like, what am I doing? Why is my Why am I looking at? Uh, the Wizard of Oz again. We we had no idea the roads this podcast would take us yeah. down. A golden, golden, uh, kind of golden brick road. Exactly. So you call it golden brick, and then you don't get sued. Yeah. No, I actually think it is golden, and I think that comes up. So let's dive into it. Oh yeah, okay. But the Oz Chronicles are still oddly parallel to what we've been encountering th- thus far. Who is the shaman in this caper? We'll start there. Dorothy. Mm-hmm. I almost said the wizard. That's so wrong. Dorothy is the shaman. Correct. She's got the yaks. She gathers her yaks along the way. Very good. Uh, gathering like the Ankakak of the Inuit that we talked about with uh, Rasmussen's work. She's going along and meeting things, assimilating some, not assimilating others. Scarecrow is more of nature spirit or territorial deity. A cyber yak tin man. Oh, yeah, the tech yak. Yeah, the tech yak. And possibly an ancestral spirit from the future. And she has her totem animal, the lion. So yeah, there you go, and and don't forget Toto, the original, her her familiar. From oh, the beginning. we'll get to Toto. Oh, that's a whole nother level. Yeah. Okay, and your little dog too, Jeremy. Yes, but uh, she could not assimilate one landscape landscape spirit. And if you think of this one, it's a little bit of a, a reach into your memory banks. But she failed to. Oh man, it's been a long time. The last few times I watched it, I was listening to Pink Floyd while I did it. Uh, landscape. Oh, yeah, there's some field they pass out in or something. Well, that's that's interesting because that's another hallucinogenic moment that yeah. they're having. And, of course, it's next level, and they, they wake up again, altered state of consciousness, total tie-in. We can skip that because we already did it now. Okay. <laughs> but the tr- what I was getting at was the trees that threw apples. She did not. Oh, yeah, I forgot that part. 
He's like the Kigalak that the the shaman killers from the Inuit, where he had to like run away because he couldn't assimilate it. Right. But he, right. she does score the scarecrow. She does score the Tin Man. She does score the lion. And then she goes to do her battle. It's uh, she it's just, very shamanic. She couldn't secure the the forest spirit. Right. And there's a thing with the scarecrow that I thought was interesting. Uh, kind of relates to the Nacht Ruprecht for Christmas, the not Santa we talked about from German folklore. Uh, this tie-in, l- l- bear with me because it's a bit of a stretch, but here's Rosemary Ellen Guiley on that character from her gin connection. Nacht Ruprecht, a man-like creature with antlers and wearing straw. In German folklore, Nacht Ruprecht terrorizes the winter countryside, peering into windows and beating people to death with a flail. So luckily she yikes! Luckily she was able to assimilate that energy form. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That, and that's the scarecrow. Well, I mean it's a stretch, but it is a yeah. straw man. With the straw man, he's, yeah. he's got straw all over him. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, parallels Nanabozo that we talked about. Basically, the first shaman. You know, we have the Manitou. But basically, the story from Alexander Elliott is they were intimidated by the emerging powers of Nanabozo, so the Manitou kind of ganged up on him and ended up singling his brother out and drowning him in a frozen lake, kind of melting it and drowning him out there. Yikes. And uh, yaks, actually. Yikes. And the witches represent the Manitou, the negative ancestral spirit bent on keeping Dorothy in her place. Uh, the witch goes after Dorothy. The initial yek is, of course, Toto, because the witch understands, the imp- she, she actually says, and your little dog too, and why is that important? Because the yek is the one that can actually kill the enemy. The, the shaman can't actually kill the witch, right? Yeah, the, a lot of the powers of the shamanic, a lot of the cosmology behind this is that the power is within the yak. You can't do anything without kind of help. Right. And Toto's a specific type of yak that actually has a little bit more of its own place in this story a little bit. A black can, dog, right? Yes, it's yeah. a hellhound. Toto is actually the, the the hellhound and the psychopomp because she's the he's that is the guard that takes him her into this and and back. It's the only one that kind of is with. Oh my and without, god! Right, right. Toto Threshold. actually leads her through the void to the other side, or however you want to say it. Yeah. So there's another hellhound guardian dog at the threshold of both Kansas and on the way back. I always knew there was something up with Toto. Hellhound makes so much sense. So if Toto hadn't gotten into the balloon at the end, you know, he, she would not have been able to remake that journey, potentially. Right. That's why the witch was so after the dog. Because yeah. even, like, in the Kansas world, the lady who was that dimension's representation of the Wicked Witch was constantly after the dog. Right. She hated Dorothy, but she was after the dog. Yep. So, yeah, that makes total sense, actually, from a shamanic point of view. And what actually transports Dorothy to the underworld? A whirlwind. A whirlwind. The tornado. Wow. I thought you get a kick out of that. Oh, yeah. That's come up a lot. Yeah. And that's how Elijah transports to heaven in the Bible. And this is how Dorothy arguably goes, uh, you know, it's arguable whether this is upper world or underworld stuff. But, you know, that's another... Wow. I, I had to think about that a little bit, and I, you know, in some ways, it's a it's a tough call. It's a tough call. Yeah, yeah. And I would also just add that the scarecrow's yak is probably not a crow. That's just going to be just a <laughs> guess there. 
But again, the four witches represent all four directions, and they are attacking Oz, located at the cosmological center of this realm or parallel alternate universe, the Umphalus, the navel of the world. Oz is even made of crystals pointing upwards, reminiscent of the Australian Dreamtime version of the shamanic journey. So we've got a lot of symbolism going on here. Yeah, the crystal castle is where the wizard lives, right? So yep. he yecked the crystals rather yeah. than the creatures, yeah. which we talked about in right. the Stanley Hotel stuff. So the Oz, Oz's yek can be in crystal form, potentially. Yep. Wow. I know, it gets deep. So the shaman or Dorothy is under attack from the elemental directional nature deities from every corner of the cosmological landscape, and she must get to the sacred mountain or axis mundi again, Oz. Now, the medicine wheel and the shaman's place in it is broken down kind of the same way. you got the four directions. The shaman pulls it out a whole new door and kind of goes straight up. So you've got a medicine wheel with a center and the pole at the, at the center of the pole is where the, is where the shaman will go up or down for knowledge. Right. So any, any other thoughts on that so far? Are we, you're with me. Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting to hear which witch is which. Well, That's we'll get that, to which You're getting me really which. excited for that bit now. We do figure out which witch is which. Or at least I have a theory as to why it doesn't jive with. Well, because the Wicked Witch of the, the West, whose sister was the Wicked Witch of the East, but was already dead before Dorothy got there, is, the, is kind of the story behind it, right? Correct. And then Glenda, who is the Good Witch, she was from the North? Um, is that right? Wasn't Glenda from the North? basically oh boy we're gonna have to actually look this up okay so i looked it up real quick glenda the good witch it's from the sun. and it's glinda with an i not an glinda e. i was saying glinda it's glinda. Yeah, glinda uh but it says she is the most powerful sorceress in the land of oz ruler of the quadling country south of the emerald city mm -hmm. and protector gotcha of Princess Ozma, whoever mm -hmm. that is. So she's south, not north. Gotcha. That's so okay. it's, it's not it's all good. My bad, but you know, mm -hmm. same thing. It's like turned on the other axis kind of thing, right? So I started to look at Frank L. Baum, who again, you know, we found with Maurice Sendak, you know, he was sendacking kids some interesting messages with with uh, where the wild things are. If you haven't yeah. heard that one, the end of uh, episode, I think three. Oh, yeah, that was an early one, huh? Yeah, it's, it's quite interesting what we do with that one. And this is similar in a way. But Frank L. Baum, let's look at that name. The name Frank comes from the old German name that referred to a member of the Germanic tribe of the Franks. Franks settled in the region now called France, Belgium, and the Netherlands in the 3rd and 4th century. They possibly derived their tri tribal name from a type of spear that they used from Proto-Germanic Franco. So it's a spear. Frank means spear. Huh, that's interesting. And here's the symbolism of the feathered arrow as it relates to shamanism. The feathered arrow is revered symbolism in shamanism, represents spiritual ascent and transcendent communication. The arrow signifies purpose and direction, while the feather is akin to a bird in flight, symbolize liberation from earthly constraints and ascension to the higher realms. Used in shamanic practices, this symbol underscores the soul's journey towards higher consciousness and the cyclic nature of life and spiritual evolution. So the first one from Frank came from behind the name, and the second one from the feathered arrow comes from 21 powerful shamanic symbols you can use to transform your life, outofstress.com. 
Uh, the spear is also often used to puncture or perforate the shaman during the shamanic initiation process. That's kind of a side point. Yeah. So that's Frank, spear, arrow, as we said. And the word Baum is German for tree. So we have a man named Spear Tree, <laughs> an access Monday and a half, telling us a story of a crystal structure of a sacred mound that a young lady must find within herself to return to her former land transformed. It's a little very, I mean, and I know it's probably not news to some people. For me, it was just something I looked into, and I didn't look up, you know, what other people thought theory-wise. I just I have a theory did for my you. own stuff, which I'm sure others have come up with. With the, with the way you can make, disconnect to everything mm -hmm. what if the shamanic energy of the universe actually controls everything all of us do and we just don't know it because we don't know how to control it yeah and the ones who learn that that's a thing and that they can control it and learn to control it become the magicians slash guru slash god whatever role they it is they choose to take but they're all just shaman in the end I don't think that's a theory. I think that's correct. And that's, you know, <laughs> just the way of I things. I win. That's the way of things. But outside of Oz and around ground level of the city itself, the initiate faces many trials, again, like the medicine wheel, the earth play. But she ascends in a balloon to return to the world as we know it as a shamaness. She's not in Kansas anymore. She tamed the directional forces, the witches, the Manitou, and their own yeks, bat squatch like flying monkeys, so we got the Therianthropic Portal Guardian, same stories, you know, carved in caves show up in, in, in Dorothy and Oz and in Kent, you know. Right. She's the she's the beginner unknown shaman who has her yak. Mm -hmm. She goes through the rites of passage, the whirlwind and the portal and all this, and she comes out a much more powerful shaman on the other side. And there's two more portals, and I'll just do them real quick. At the end, she can teleport. Right. She teleports herself. Like she right. gains a lot of power in That's this right. arc. Exactly. But the, we got the hypnopompic stuff because the window hits her, another portal, like almost like a mirror. The window oh, hits yeah. her, knocks her out. And then, yes, also when they're going across the poppy fields, it's another altered state of consciousness. Right, right. So according to Baum's work, the Wicked Witch of the West presides over the country of Oh, this is kind of a side note, but it's really cool. According to Baum's work, the Wicked Witch of the West presides over the country of Winky, which, if you recall, is suspiciously similar to the wing tees or the transformed shamans of the Lakota. So spiritually, they're beyond gender. Yeah, so it's that's... like the same word. Yeah, type of shaman <laughs> that shows up, all those next-level consciousness stuff kind of comes up wow. over and over. Whirlwinds and wing, yeah. Don't believe me, ask Glenn or Glinda. <laughs> yeah, Glinda. <laughs> which Dustin Hoffman classic, by the way, and Dustin, of course, is Cree designation for the word. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just going off of <laughs> But on a side note, we have found Glinda is beyond good or evil, and she's the Ishta Diva, and the, you know, the West and the East are more the Ishta Rasha, and we've got the North and South in some ways maybe being the Ishta Divas, kind of the more angelic ones. But the bottom line is, is this is you know, the way I look at it, and this is, we'll get into this when we do my Ishta Diva, Ishta Raksha episode, but I see it as like a chakra alert system. So if you're Coming up, you, you you meet the one. If you're going down, you meet the other. Uh, if you're if you're getting better and, and reaching another kind of balanced chakra higher up, you're going to pass maybe a thunderbird. And if you're going the other way, you might meet the wolf of the east. So it's right. kind of got these two. Each chakra has this two door policy, almost like a Janus kind of thing. So you got the two face. You got the one more darker. 
and the one more lighter, depending on kind of which direction your level of consciousness is moving. Right. So back to the initial question about which which is which, or the worst, what portal guardian would present itself if Dorothy, if she's on the right path or the yellow golden brick road? If she's on the right path. Mm-hmm. It's the wrong path is the flying monkeys. <laughs> well, the way... <laughs> what's the What does she see on the right path? Well, the way I'm looking at it, the way I'm trying to tie it back into what we were talking about is the actually they said the west was the worst, but the east is is actually where you might re- meet the wolf if you're going in the right. wrong direction. She is going towards the west. She's going to, towards the Thunderbird. This is kind of a again a portal guardian. Oh, gotcha. Okay, but the same, she was going west. She's yeah. going. She beats the wicked witch of the west, which kind of shows she's more on the on the right path, and that this was a move up the chakra system, not down. It does kind of tie into what we were talking about, even with Cisco's interview with the Wolf of the East, with some yeah, of this, you know, yeah. back and forth. I tried to tie it in. Uh, how do you think I did? Uh, that's great, dude. And the whole spear tree thing with the author—that's great. <laughs> I, I I love the uh, background on that, and it is funny. I mean, you can deny it all you want and say it's it's all coincidence or whatever, but. Things like these books that you've gone through, the Where the Wild Things Are, now The Wizard of Oz, and so many of these stories, they really are so shamanic mm-hmm. in the way that they progress through their arc and whatnot. It's a great tool of storytelling. I'm mm-hmm. a bit of a writer myself, and I appreciate that tool. As a, I might have to write one of these stories myself now that I've seen this so mm-hmm. deeply with your research, you know? But uh, I, I think there's something to it. I really do. And again, it's it could be that these guys are actually shaman in their own right. And, you know, it's the, the magic that they control that makes these books so popular, these stories so popular. Or it might just be they know this lore and it's like, oh, what a great story. It's like, it's like I wrote a paper on the Gothic method about Edgar Allan Poe when I was in college. You know what I mean? Same, there, there doesn't have to be anything actually mystical about it, but it's still an influence on them. I, I really think that this whole shamanic process, shamanic journey thing is one of those stories that people keep telling over and over again in their own way, you know? It's an archetype, and it, it just it keeps really resurfacing is. time and time again. These same themes get used in the same way. And the other piece of it is just more direct communication is like, I, I don't know if I've done this already. It's going to be in one of the episodes coming soon. If I haven't already, I get confused where I'm at any given yeah, time of day. Yeah, timeline scrambled. But Robert Louis Stevens always talked about the fairies and the brownies are the ones who told him the stories, and they tell way better stories than he ever would is the way he says it. So all his stories are pretty it's wild. All channeled, yeah. And it's like channeled. So there's a more direct one when you have a shaman actually channeling and then writing it down. Or these things just kind of bubble up naturally with a whirlwind and the, the monster the, and the portal guardian being the dog and, and, and all this same kind of yeah. mythic symbolism. Keeps exactly. And yeah, like the whirlwind and the window and the witches of the east and west and the north and south. And like it, it's too much to think that it's not somehow at least an influence. Yeah. You know, it's, it's way too way. shamanic for it for that concept to not have at least have been some kind of influence on that story yeah yeah that the question is did he do it on purpose right or is it just in our brain so much that 
he he wrote a shaman story without realizing it. I would like some feedback. What I, what I again, my theory was I already had all the stuff I was looking for, and I didn't have to go look to see what other people said about this and what it is. And I didn't do any of that research. It's just all research I had, and I watched the one thing I did was watch the tornado scene because of it's my favorite, it's and a it's, it's a whirlwind. So and that's where I got the window piece. If I had watched the whole movie, I'm sure there'd be more to it. So. I'd like to ask the community, A, what did I forget? And B, where am I wrong? Or I'm sure a lot of these themes they've talked about, and maybe in a different way, maybe in the same way, but I didn't look it up. So what am I right. missing? What did I get right? What did I get wrong? I'd, I'd be interested to hear some you know, feedback at there you go. Well, our, our Gmail. You can email us at monsterloretor at gmail.com, or you can leave a comment on whatever platform you're listening on. Or you can find us on Facebook, Monster Lore Tour podcast page on Facebook, um, I do have one more question for you. Shoot. If see if you have a theory on this. What are your thoughts on the whole everything's in black and white and then she goes through the portal and everything's in color? Is there something to that in your mind, the, in your theories? Well, clearly the people who have these shamanic journeys always talk about how more vivid this the other worlds are and people that's why you know the the, the richard dawkins the scully muggles of the world don't really if they don't experience this those who come back and say they've been to another realm always say how oh, it's more vibrant it's more real and nobody can convince them of otherwise that this was an important thing that happened and it is more you know so i would say that ties right into the and it's a point i missed and that's a good point i'm glad i asked then that go. was a wonderful answer thank you boss yep burr Hey, it's more vivid on the other side. Before we go, though, you know what we should do? What's that? Jeremy? Release the flying monkeys! I don't have a sound for that. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> oh, I got you. Release the flying monkeys. <laughs> Anywho... I, I can always tell when a side trail's over because we go completely off the rails. Yeah. So we're going to wrap this one up. Thank you, Maz. That was great. Um, so which which is which? Well, all four of them. It's a good. It's a really good actually to bring it back. All four of them are the Manitou, and they are they are all working together. It's yin and yang because everything's one thing. Every they're all working together to make this transformation happen, and they're different. They're playing different roles, but they're all in cahoots. And it's the same with. Eventually, Nanabozo, you know, goes smokes the peace pipe with the Manitou, and they give him the yak of the otter, and they they give him medicine, and he starts a whole shamanic society. And this is kind of a similar thing where she passes the audition and she gets back with new powers. Brilliant! And there's the answer to the ultimate question of which which is which. And now I'll really wrap it up. Thanks everybody for coming. Really appreciate you checking out the side trails here. Uh, we've been putting these exclusively in the members area. We're going to start releasing these publicly, actually. I'm not sure this one or one later or sometime soon. Everyone's going to hear this eventually, though, Maz. I'm happy about that. Our Patreon will still be a thing. Uh, join for nice and cheap for getting ahead of public release. and But we're going to pull the rest of the extra material out of there, lower the price, and make everything available publicly for a while until everybody really gets a hold of what we're doing here so until next week stay weird
Elder Lore Tour Podcast. Can't drink all day if you don't start in the morning. <laughs>